0: Hi uh, there! Once again, it is me, the world's smartest frog, to talk to you about another groovy word.
1: Hey cassettes, and welcome to the season 5 finale of the Black Case Diaries. Oh, oh, God. We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV, and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy.
0: And I'm Adam.
2: Almost forgot hey. that part.
0: <laughs> but you didn't need to know. You didn't even need to hear it. Uh, you
2: know us. We're on the last episode yeah. of season 5. I was going to
0: say if you've made it to the end of season 5, then you definitely know our names by now. <laughs> Unless you're new, in which case welcome.
1: Welcome. 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 All month we've been talking about Jim Henson projects. This week we're wrapping up the month with an episode about the man himself, the one and only Jim oh. Henson. <gasps> Yeah, I'm pretty excited to talk about Jim Henson. I'm a little nervous, though, yeah. because there's so much. I feel like we're not even going to cover half this yeah, is, of him.
0: Yeah, this is our, like, a brief biography of yeah. some kind.
1: Yeah, the spark notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the spark go. notes. Henson's yes, life. <laughs> exactly. It was 1954 and the start of the fall semester at the University of Maryland. The home economics curriculum had recently added a brand new course, puppetry. The professor was a talented silversmith who had very little experience with the medium. This wasn't a problem, considering the fact that the class was mostly made up of seniors that were inexperienced in puppetry and trying to get their last college credits. This is like your blow-off course. Oh, man. I've
0: been
2: there.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Senioritis is real. (laughs) Yes.
1: It wasn't a problem, of course, until a tall, lanky 18-year-old man named Jim Henson walked in. Oh, boy. (laughs) For the last couple of years, Henson had been working as a puppeteer on local network shows. Although he didn't consider himself an expert, he had more experience than anyone else in the room and quickly took over the
0: class. <laughs> I was going to say like <laughs> yeah. you, the, you if you have more experience in something than the professor, mm-hmm. like what is that? How does that feel? Yeah. You're like, <laughs> "Well, yeah. I already know this. It's
1: funny. Yeah. I wonder how he figured it out. Yeah. Like if the professor walked in and said, Hey, guys, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. And then this 18 year old kid yeah. goes, Oh, <laughs> well, I do. Yeah. You want me to? I'm
0: already a professional.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm so- <laughs> to show you a couple of things. <laughs> One of his fellow students stood out to Jim, a dry wooded 20 year old named Jane Nebel. Together, Jim and Jane formed a partnership that would lead to the creation of some of the world's warmest, funniest, and most familiar characters, the Muppets.
0: All right. Oh,
1: yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. People describe him, they described young Jim Henson mm-hmm. as a cross between Abraham Lincoln and Jesus. He's oh kind goodness. of very <laughs> yeah. soft spoken, but very tall and mm-hmm. just like a very lanky guy. Everybody swore he was taller than he was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, I want to take that class.
1: (laughs) This was only the beginning. Eventually, the two of them would marry and create a family of five children. Jane would take on a more familial role, as Jim would carry on his career to new and more exciting ventures. He was a visionary, a true genius, that never stopped working. Jim Henson constantly pushed the boundaries of his craft to reach the far corners of his limitless imagination. And when he found roadblocks, he broke through them with boundless creativity. Jim Henson's friends referred to him as a harvester of people, a soft-spoken leader that handpicked his team of collaborators. Everyone on set felt they could approach him. He was mild-mannered and believed in others. He felt that everyone should love each other for their differences, not their similarities. He touched countless lives with his love of family, friends, and a good story. We still talk about Jim Henson because he made the world a brighter place and he still continues to do so 31 years after his death. Mm. So we felt it was only fitting to end June with an episode celebrating the magic of Jim Henson and learning the impact that just one person can have. So here here we go. Here
2: we go. On September 24th, 1936, James Morey Henson, or Jimmy, was born in the Mississippi Delta Shortly after, the Hensons moved to Maryland. This is where Jim Henson spent the first five years of his life. Throughout these years, he learned to talk, developing a slightly nasal and soft-spoken voice, one that generations of children and adults would one day associate with a certain famous frog. (laughs) It was also during this time when he saw his favorite film, The Wizard of Oz.
0: You think that's why he became such good friends with Frank?
2: I think that probably.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No other reason. reason Perfect,
2: perfect, yeah. (laughs) When he was in first grade, Jim Henson's parents, Betty and Paul, moved the family back to Mississippi. Betty was a loving mother with a jovial sense of humor. Paul was a quiet man, but known for his ability to tell a good story. Jim grew up along the swamps going on adventures with his friends, gathering nuts for his mother to bake into pies. He was interested in animals, birds particularly, and created his own field guide to help identify them.
0: Oh, cool. That's
2: neat. Jim joined the Cub Scouts and formed a solid group of comrades. On Sundays, he went to church, and on Saturdays, he went to the movies. Jim Henson and his friends loved to soak up whatever on-screen adventures played at the local theater. Known to locals as the temple. The temple. I like that. That's really cool. Very cool. (laughs) Sounds so sacred. Yeah.
0: Do you think they had temple guards?
2: Maybe. (laughs) It was these experiences that inspired him to dress up with his friends, building props out of household items. For every game, he discovered a new way to play, a skill he would perfect for years to come. Gordon Jones, one of Jim's childhood friends, said, Jim had something the rest of us didn't have—an unusual degree of originality.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No doubt there.
1: They would build all kinds of crazy stuff, Mm -hmm. and he would do. He had no problem with people seeing him doing wild and wacky things. (laughs) You know, I think some one person said they saw him sitting on his front in his front yard Mm -hmm. with a garden hose in front of him, and he was pretending to snake charm it. (laughs) You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. You know, just, yeah. I mean. He, imagination. It, yeah, just really wild imagination.
2: Jim was incredibly close to his grandmother, a supportive and loving woman that everyone knew simply as Deer. Deer often traveled over a thousand miles to see her daughter Betty and her family. She was a talented seamstress, able to sew with any material. She cultivated Jim's interest in art and reading and was his best audience when he told funny stories or acted out games. All of these things were instrumental in who Jim Henson would become and what he would create. But there was another aspect of Deer's personality that Jim adopted. It was possibly one of the most important aspects of his life and it helped him launch his career. It was the unwavering belief that Jim could be anything. Jim Henson always knew he would be successful because Deere told him so.
1: This is something that I think people find off putting about people Mm. sometimes, but with Jim Henson, it was very comforting. He had this very gentle sense of confidence. Yeah. You know, he was a confident person and. Because of that, he was very popular with the ladies. Yes. Yeah. Very charming. Oh, yes. yes. You know, people people are attracted to confidence. Yeah, and that's true. He, he found friends easily and, and that kind of thing because he really believed that he would be successful. And when people would ask him, mm-hmm. Did you ever think you would be this successful? He was totally, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> I
2: never even questioned it. Yeah.
0: I mean, we yeah. can all relate. Yeah. <laughs> to that.
2: Yeah. He must have passed that on, his, on to his children because they all have done really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They've all been incredibly successful in movies and producing mm-hmm. and puppeteering and all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, guys, it's that easy. We just have to be <laughs>
1: more confident. It's true. There we go. Confidence in believing you'll succeed is a huge part of success. It yeah. is a big, big part of it because you have to have the confidence to put yourself out there. You have to believe that even if you fail, you're going to not fail at some point. Yes.
0: Can I maybe get back there someday?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Of course, books and films had a major impact on Jim Henson's imagination. But it was the radio that got him interested in comedy. On Sunday nights, he would listen to Edgar Bergen, a ventriloquist act that performed on the radio. Bergen was a special kind of ventriloquist. He didn't focus as much on the art of speaking without using his mouth, but rather he took great care in developing his characters. To even the most dedicated listeners, Bergen's puppets seemed like real people. For the rest of his life, Bergen would be one of Henson's idols. It was Bergen that first introduced him to the magic of puppetry and the freedom of speaking through something else. As Jim Henson would later put it, things were said that couldn't be said by ordinary people.
1: Yeah. Some people remarked that Edgar Bergen wasn't super good at ventriloquism mm-hmm. because you could see his mouth move yeah. when he did the puppet. So it, it, it's an odd thing for a ventriloquist to be on the radio because yeah. it's supposed to be a visual act. Yes. And listening to the radio, it really felt like it was different people talking. Mm-hmm. Because and I, I think that... Even if you weren't there to watch him perform, having the puppet there helped him get in the headspace of different characters. Yes. And something a lot more akin to what Jim Henson did with his puppets. Mm-hmm. He didn't care. If he was performing Kermit, you know, and sitting next to him, he didn't care if you saw his mouth move. I mean yeah. that it, that wasn't a part of the act. That wasn't yeah. what was important. Mm-hmm. It just that, you know, people, even if someone was there while and saw him as he spoke <laughs> and held Kermit. People weren't looking at him. They were looking at
2: Kermit because he was so enigmatic, Mm -hmm. so interesting. A commanding.
1: Yeah. And he was just, he was a full personality. So (laughs) there was no reason to look at the person.
0: And one thing that I think Jim Henson did really well, and a lot of, you know, puppeteers and ventriloquists do very well, is keeping the character moving. Mm-hmm. While he's talking like Jim Henson as himself is talking, but Kermit is not just sitting still. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that helps keep your eyes on him. It it just it adds to that lifelike feeling that you get. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: yeah. He's not just a character when he's speaking, he's mm-hmm. a character always. <laughs> yes. Right.
0: Eventually the Hensons return to Maryland. Jim spent his teenage years obsessed with the new technology that was changing the world, television. Watching the few channels available in the Washington, D.C. area, Jim knew for certain that TV was his calling. He fell in love with variety shows, a format he would parody several years later with his own puppet creations. Jim also loved comic strips, and even had one published at the age of 13. Oh,
1: man. Wow. How cool was that? He was successful very young.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dang it. Pogo was his favorite, a strip that took place in a swamp filled with bright and silly animals. Pogo was the level-headed, normal character that tried to rein in the wacky personalities around him. Sounds familiar.
1: Doesn't it? Doesn't that sound familiar? (laughs) Yes.
0: The strip also tackled social and political commentary. Henson happily referred to Pogo as one of his biggest influences in creating the Muppet characters.
1: Yeah. Mm. Kermit is certainly very heavily influenced by (laughs) Poco. Yeah. I mean, he's even in a swamp. Yeah. I was going to say the
0: swamp may not, like, sure, swamp, frog, you get it. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, beyond that, it just feels like this, you know? Kermit in this way could have been anything else, you know? You just swap him out for a different animal or a different puppet Mm -hmm. but he still has that character that stems from Mm -hmm.
1: this kermit is the character that thinks the most like the viewers Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. in the audience and then you have everybody being wacky around him he's desperately trying to (laughs) hold things together
0: (laughs) right as jim henson approached his high school graduation an opportunity to work in tv presented itself the local network wtop was looking for puppeteers it might sound a little weird to us but jim didn't consider himself much of a puppeteer but since puppetry was what the network wanted, it was what Jim Henson was going to do. So Jim did what anyone with limited to no experience would do. He headed to the library to do some research.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Support your local libraries, folks. <laughs> yes. yeah. Without them, you wouldn't have had the Muppets. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Uh-huh. He and a friend got together and started building their own puppets for the audition. They had one week to learn puppetry, and although it wasn't Jim Henson's first choice for a career, he seemed to be natural. Both boys were hired.
1: Yay! Woo!
0: The show was short-lived and was canceled after only three weeks. Mm -hmm. But Jim had impressed producer Roy Meacham and landed a role on another Saturday morning show. This show would also be canceled. (laughs) But the opportunity acted as a stepping stone of sorts, as Jim Henson's work caught the attention of a producer for NBC affiliate, WRC-TV, who promptly offered Henson another job.
1: Yeah, so puppets were kind of big in the 1950s. Yeah, they weren't what the Muppets are. You yeah. know, they were kind of rigid, hard wooden things. Yeah, and you know, you saw them on Howdy Doody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Edgar Bergen. You you know, these were things that. Didn't have a whole lot of movement. Mm-hmm. Puppets were fairly big, and so uh, him getting into puppetry was a smart choice if he wanted yeah. to be in TV. Mm-hmm. Because it obviously yeah. they needed puppeteers. Because mm-hmm. without even trying, yeah. he's getting jobs. Yeah, he's sixteen, <laughs> you know, yeah. and
2: he was like, "I'm just looking for a stepping stone. Stepping stone. Yeah. There's one. Okay, there I'm it get, is. I'm <laughs> on it. He took his chance. And then Dude. he just yeah."
0: I would gladly try to be a puppeteer <laughs> if it yeah. was that popular still.
1: it's And the thing is, too, is that uh, I think that Jim Henson was fortunate in the sense that he knew exactly what he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be in television. Mm-hmm. Right. He didn't really want to be puppeteer. He wanted to do production design. He wanted to paint. He wanted to do stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But he knew he wanted to be in TV. And just knowing that that was what he wanted made him very, very focused and made it easy for him to get to that point.
2: Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's very difficult to know what you want. Yeah.
0: Oh, tell me about it. Especially
1: (laughs) when you're 14, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's It's tough.
0: It's still hard. Yeah. At this time, Jim was studying at the University of Maryland. Originally, he wanted a fine arts degree focusing on production design. But he quickly realized that home economics was more interesting. A degree in home economics would allow him to take even more art courses, including a puppetry course. <laughs> it was in this course that Jim met the woman that would soon become his professional partner and later his wife, Jane Nebel.
1: Yes, and that was the story I told there at the beginning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He took a puppetry <laughs> class. He majored in home economics, which people kind of thought home economics was, oh, this is where you learn to cook and clean. Yeah.
0: Right. No. Right. Oh, not quite. It's like things that you can kind of do at home, Yeah. like sewing or painting or whatever that is, that would be useful around a house, mm-hmm. but you're learning it not for right. your home. It's mm-hmm. more of a general knowledge right
1: like for example one of the professors the guy who taught the puppetry course was a silversmith
0: yeah Mm -hmm. so he
1: was teaching people how to use silver to make things yeah that's pretty cool so we're gonna talk a little bit about Jim Henson's first projects before he did you know the things that we're familiar with yeah Yeah. things that we've already talked about on this Mm -hmm. show Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) you can find some old like black and white stuff yeah with weird puppets that you just don't recognize but it's still him
1: yes One way to tell if it's a Jim Henson early Jim Henson project is if it's puppets that are you know moving around really well and also blowing each other up. That was like one of his signature (laughs) things. After Jim Henson met Jane Nebel, he asked her for her help in puppeteering an afternoon variety show called Afternoon. Nebel agreed, and on March seventh, nineteen fifty-five, the TV highlights sections of the Washington Post and Times Herald printed a small notice for the new show. It read two fifteen p.m afternoon. A new variety program features Mac McGarry and Willard Scott as co-hosts. Fashion information from Inga, music by Mel Clement, quartet, vocals by Jack Maggio, and special features by the Muppets, who are puppeteers. Mm-hmm. They, are they puppeteers? Yes, they were incorrect. <laughs> they, they added that at the end <laughs> because they didn't. no one knew what Muppets were, and so they added puppeteers mm-hmm. at the end, even though the Muppets are the actual characters, not the yes. puppeteers. The casual reader flipping through their morning paper might not have even thought about that word, Muppet. They certainly wouldn't have known that this notice was an important moment for TV history, that this word would soon take the world by storm, and entertainment would never be the same. It was the first mm-hmm. time the word Muppet was in print. Wow.
0: Ugh, you had to get it wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they had been calling them that for a bit, but... yeah. Um, For years after, there would be lots of speculation over the origin of the word Muppet. At one time, Jim Henson said it was a combination of marionette and puppet, but later he noted that it didn't make a lot of sense since they didn't do much marionette work. Author Brian J. Jones, in his biography on Henson, speculated that the word came from another TV show that aired in the 1940s. That show was called Hoppity Skippity with Muppet Movies. Muppet is a word that means small child. And comes from the word "mop," which means ragdoll. So, Muppet could be a mashup of Muppet and puppet, and allude to the childlike quality of the characters.
0: Mm. I like that one. Yeah, that would yeah. make
1: sense. Yeah, he felt Brian J. Jones felt like it's possible Jim Henson didn't think of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he could have accidentally done that. Yeah, maybe like inadvertently. Mm-hmm. I you mean, know,
2: referenced that. We've done random things like that. Yeah. You know, coincidences yes. come upon us and we're like, oh, whoa. And like, sometimes we didn't it's
1: not a coincidence. Sometimes mm-hmm. the seed was planted long ago and we yeah, forgot. We just, yeah. we remembered even though we forgot, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Just like the fact that the movie had its anniversary just recently. Yes. There were yes. some of With, movies. The
1: two movies that we picked for Jim Henson June happened to both premiere in June. And we didn't know that. Yep. yep. For afternoon, Jim and Jane would have to quickly produce new characters. There wasn't a lot of time for rehearsal, and Jim Henson got familiar with the ability to perform off-the-cuff, a skill he used often in his later years. The two of them only performed in the show for a couple of months before they were offered their own show, a five-minute block between the news and The Tonight Show. It was called Sam and Friends.
0: WRC-TV, Channel 4, Washington. Salmon friends. Yay. Exciting. Salmon friends.
1: Yay. Okay. What you talking about? <laughs> Wins the
0: Muppet <laughs> Show. <from in>
1: <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to have a page on our website with just all of the Jim Henson episodes because we've covered a lot of his stuff. And we so have. today we're not going to really talk about those things. Yeah.
0: That's a great idea.
1: Sam & Friends aired in the spring of 1955 and followed a quiet, bald character named Sam and an abstract group of friends that helped him through daily life. The characters were meant to live within Sam, and Jim Henson liked their abstract quality. He felt like having abstract characters was more interesting. Yeah. Because it gave the audience more to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He felt like when you told the audience, this is a bear, this is a frog, that you were kind of giving them something. You are kind of putting them in a box mm-hmm. in terms of that character. Yeah. But if, if the character wasn't given a title like that, then the audience could kind of create whole new things for them. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I love that once the Muppets had become more established with those animal characters, you'd still get those weird ones. Yeah. Yes, you there know? would still yes. be ones
1: that were just, they, they didn't have, they just had names. Yeah, There was, I think there's this one Muppet, Beauregard, mm-hmm. who... <laughs> What the hell is he? You yeah. know? <laughs> He's you know? just kind of a monster mm-hmm. character, and I love that. Yeah. Jim Henson was still a teenager at the time, a college kid living in a town he knew very well. Nearby, his grandfather, a man known affectionately as Pop, you guys remember Deer? We talked about yes. Deer. Yeah. This is
2: Deer's husband. Husband. Oh.
1: Was dying of heart failure. It was during one of his many visits with his family that Jim sat down with an old felt coat and a ping pong ball to make his favorite Muppet. A milky turquoise creature named Kermit. In his book, Brian J. Jones wrote, That was it. From the simplest of materials, and perhaps appropriately, from a determination to bring a bit of order from darkness, Kermit was born.
0: And Mm -hmm. so he's
1: visiting his grandfather who was dying, and the family's kind of all there. And he sits down with his mom's old coat at at the table. He just makes Kermit the frog. Amazing. Very simple design. He's probably one of his simplest Muppets mm-hmm. he had ever made. And he liked Kermit because he was so versatile with his movements. Yes. Uh, because he was just basically a glorified sock puppet, I think mm-hmm. is <laughs> what yeah. he referred to him yeah. as. There was a piece of cardboard in the mouth, the half ping pong balls. He just drew little black circles yeah. on them. It's perfect. With lines. <laughs> the simplicity that Kermit was born from with his soft cloth face and body made him easy to manipulate, which gives him a wide range of appearances. Most of the puppets at this time were not meant for television and had rigid faces to be seen from great distances. Jim's Muppets were built to be expressive, specifically for TV viewing. At the time of Sam and Friends, Kermit was not a frog. It was a blank slate, another one of Sam's abstract friends that appeared. These friends were made of pliable material, such as foam rubber, fabric, and fleece. Yeah, he really was not called a frog. Yeah. till later till mm-hmm. I think he was on Sesame Street.
2: Yeah, and,
1: and it's really weird yeah. to
2: think that. Like you yeah. go back now and you're like, oh my gosh, but it, it's a frog. How can yeah. you not see a frog? You look but at him. Yeah, right. at nobody saw him as a frog. And he at wasn't that time. even
1: really green. He was no. <laughs> he was yeah. just this
2: light really faded turquoise
1: color because it was an old coat he Mm -hmm. was made from.
0: Which
2: was probably black and white on film anyway. And
0: and It's kind of funny how we all look at him now like, Frog, got it, I'm there. (laughs) But all of the other frog characters, Mm -hmm. like Robin for example, Mm -hmm. actually look more like frogs than Kermit does. Kermit is the least frog out of all of them. (laughs) But yet we still are like, yeah, frog, I got it. Frog.
2: Puppetry was still often done within a screen and hidden with a set that was a box that had curtains. Jim used television to his advantage. Instead of having a separate puppet box, the television itself was the puppet theater set. This made it possible for the Muppets to even get a close-up right to the camera.
1: Back in the day, puppet shows on TV... Were puppet shows.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. you
1: had the theater and the box, and it—you know—a little, it, you know, curtains, a little it, yeah, stage. Yeah, you can picture it. Right? And Jim Henson walking in said, "Well, <laughs> if you just don't see me, then the puppet can it doesn't be anywhere. Matter, yeah, yeah. I, you don't have to be behind a box. You don't have to be behind a curtain." Mm-hmm. And so he was able to just use the square of the screen as the theater. Right. Yeah.
0: The illusion only matters to those watching on TV.
2: Yeah. People on set
0: have already seen him when he walked in. The illusion is not there for them anyway.
2: As we have learned in photography, the camera never lies, but you control what it says. That is exactly what Jim Henson did. In order to know exactly what the camera was saying, he realized he needed to see what the camera was seeing. Instead of relying on merely checking to make sure he and Jane's arms and bodies were out of frame, he wanted to closely monitor what the camera was filming. Jim began by placing monitors in the two corners of the room, but eventually decided on a single monitor in front of where the two were. To Jim, it was not merely a way to monitor the characters and the exact movements, but that what was on the monitor defined the entire performance, since it is what the audience would be seeing. Yeah, it's kind
1: of a game changer to know exactly what they're seeing as you're doing it.
2: Jim would continue to use this technique and improve it over the years to come. It would also continue to help improve the puppeteer's performances, including his own. The only trick to it was that, just as when you take a selfie, the image is mirrored. So everything had to be done opposite to how it was viewed.
0: Oh, what what a God. Pain. Yeah. Little, no.
2: little bit of a mind trickery thing <laughs> yeah. there. A Bit of a mind flip. <laughs> Jim would spend hours looking into a mirror with a Muppet, practicing the most subtle of movements, such as the slight tilt down of head, as the Muppet said something. While working on the show, Jim hired Jerry Jewell, a puppeteer and friend of future Muppet performer Frank Oz. Jewel was Henson's first employee for Henson Incorporated, and he even filled in for Jane on the final season of Sam and Friends.
1: Jane did puppeteering with him for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when she was pregnant with their second child, they made the choice that Jane would no longer do it with him. Yeah. They decided, okay, two kids now, someone's gotta watch them. Yeah. You
0: can't, you know. the, the the puppets will do it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's a bit of a bummer, but I think yeah, it that, is. I think that it was, you know, a mutual agreement. I don't mm-hmm. think it was, you know so you know, Jerry Jewel kinda took over and Jerry Jewell he was friends with Frank Oz. And I always thought that he met Frank Oz through Jerry Jewell, but I think it was actually the other way around.
0: I wonder if there's a timeline out there somewhere mm-hmm. where she didn't stop puppeteering and the company is like, it's, oh. instead of Jim Henson production, it's Jim and Jane Productions and or Jane. something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's totally different. Ooh, That would be oh, That's a some universe, timeline. Out, some, yeah. some dimension out there where that happened. Yeah.
2: Huh. <laughs> Throughout its run, Sam and friends moved time slots and was cut a few times, but stayed popular during its entire run. Fans would write in and demand its return when it was cut by WRC-TV. And the Washington fan base was sad when Jim finally decided to end the TV spot in
0: 1961. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It seemed to be obvious to everyone, however, that it would not be the last time they would see Jim's talent. The popularity of the show brought opportunities and exposure to his early Muppets through television guest appearances and live shows. Jane would continue to stick with him, even through continuing her schooling and doing two live shows a day.
0: Yeah. Man, she's all over the place. Yeah, Yeah, she did a lot. In 1957, Jim and Jane agreed to formally be in business together. They started out doing commercials, something that Jim Henson would eventually be happy to leave behind. Advertising in the 1950s was often flat and uninteresting. Jim decided to make commercials that made fun of advertising itself. With this camera, I shoot pictures of people who don't drink Wilkins coffee. I'm ready. Shoot. Anybody else? It was remarkably successful, and soon Jim and Jane were contracted by other companies yearning for their artistic style.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. That's super great. Can you believe it that people got tired of... Millville. The best oats in town. Or the, uh, the the offensive coffee commercials. Do you ever oh see those? Oh my gosh, in the I 1950s? think I have. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the guy walks in. Oh, Janet, are you ever going to learn how to make a decent cup of coffee around here? <laughs> I work really hard and I come home to this crap every day. You know, I went over to Jim's house the other day and his wife makes this kind of coffee. Good grief. I'm serious, those <laughs> commercials yeah, exist and they they're do. unbelievable. <laughs>
0: yeah. It reminds me of when they joke about it in the Truman Show. Yes. Where they kind of weasel uh, it in. And he's like, yes. why are you saying it like that? In 1958, the two of them decided to form Muppets, Inc., their own business in which they were partners. But as Jane put it, Jim is the boss. With the proposal to start their business, Jim also proposed marriage. Cute. Aww. <laughs> Although the two of them were engaged to other people at the time, it seemed natural to them that they'd be married because of their strong bond. So... Oh, <laughs> oh, I awed yeah. too early.
1: <laughs> so here's what happened. Um, yeah. When Jane and Jim started working together, she was already dating somebody else. Yes. And then he started dating somebody else. Yeah. And they, for years, people were like, there's something going on between you two. And they, no, no, we yeah, just worked yeah, together. Yeah. And they really, they, they, Jane's talked about it. No, we weren't doing anything. It's just that, you know, over time, it got to a point where it was like we could have conversations without speaking. yeah They were incredibly close. And she said that when he asked her, it wasn't really like a romantic proposal. Oh, he no. kind <laughs> of went, he went oh, to uh, Europe and hung out there for a while. And he came back and he was like, okay, we should have a business together. And she said, oh, sure. Yeah. And they said, and we should get married. And she was like, uh, uh um, okay. Take me
0: to dinner first. <laughs> yeah.
1: She was like, I guess that makes sense. And so uh. it, it was kind of more she said it was very kind of like a business thing. Yeah. But they did really love each other. It yeah. was just a lot more of
2: respect. Yeah. And yeah. Like, just love. They just really
1: and... got each other. Yeah. And that was pretty much what it was. And he, he just kind of had this thought in his head, if we're going to be working together, we should be married.
2: So uh, all of a sudden, just getting a business and getting married. <laughs> yeah,
1: and a husband all at once. Wow.
0: <laughs> two for one deal. <laughs> two for one
2: deal.
0: <laughs> After they were married, the two of them settled together as they continued to work on Sam and Friends. Jim started branching out creatively, making what he called animated paintings out of paper pieces and other material.
1: These are really cool short films yes. that people. Maybe we can link to one of them. He did the short films in the 1960s that mm-hmm. you know I think are a lesser-known thing. They did. Yeah, that's awesome. That yeah. he
2: would spend hours and hours on. Yes, and, and then forget
1: to take the lens cap yes. off. apparently <laughs> after <laughs> oh,
0: spending son three of hours. On. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Shortly after Jane gave birth to their first child, the Hensons drove to a Puppeteers of America convention in Detroit. There, Jim met some of the people who would remain his closest friends and collaborators for years to come. This is where he met his agent, Bernie Brillstein, and future Muppet builder, Don Salen.
1: Lisa Henson is eight months old at the time. Oh, they man. drive Aww. a round trip of a thousand miles with an infant in the car. Whew. They go to this convention, and yeah, they, he meets another puppeteer that convinces Bernie Brillstein to be his agent. Bernie Brillstein did not want to be Jim Henson's agent. He said, "Dude, I don't want to mess with puppeteers, man. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't want to do it." And this other guy said, "Hey, like, he is special. Yeah, I promise.
2: You um, might want to rethink it." I yeah. do.
0: I do have a question though. If he didn't want to mess with puppeteers, mm-hmm. why is he at the um, <laughs> ah! Puppeteers of America convention? See, here's
1: the thing. He did have a puppet a puppeteer client. Gotcha. And he was friends with Jim, and they, they met at the convention. And that was, you know, that was his friend that said, "Hey, you should represent Jim Henson." And Bernie Brillstein was like, "No." But then Jim came in. He showed him what he could do. He mm-hmm. brought brought his box of stuff. Yep. And Bernie Brillstein, was blown away, and he realized that he was special. So he signed him. And right after Bernie Brillstein signed <laughs> him, he got a phone call from his boss. And he said, hey, have you heard of a guy named Jim Henson? Ha. And he said he laughed hysterically and said, I just signed him. <laughs> and they were like, great. <laughs> you did good. Wow,
0: Hilarious. <laughs> a couple years later, when Jane was pregnant with their second child, the Hensons once again headed to a Puppeteers of America convention. This time, Jim met someone that would become his lifelong friend and fellow performer, Frank Osnowitz. Or Frank Oz.
1: Yay! Yay Frank Oz! <laughs> oh, I love Frank Oz so
0: much. <laughs> Oz was only 17 at the time, and he thought of puppetry as merely a hobby. But two years later, Jim Henson would convince him to come out to New York and join him, Don Salen, and Jerry Jewell as they embarked on the next adventure.
1: So Frank Oz was so young, and Jim actually was friends with his parents. Mm. And when he met them at the, at the convention, <laughs> they had brought their son with them. Oh. And he was really interested in Frank Oz being a puppeteer with him because he was really good. He was watching yeah. him do, do his shows. And so once Frank Oz graduated high school, essentially, <laughs> Jim Henson called up Frank Oz's parents and said, hey, you should send, send your son up here to live with me in New York. Or live, <laughs> and we can, you know, we can work together. And, and I think I want to offer him a job. And his parents let him go. Dang. And that's Frank Oz said it was like he was this little kid in this very grown-up <laughs> world, and just they, you know, it was like dang. it was like a core group of like four people, yeah, oh, at the time. And this was the original people that, besides Jane, of course. Mm-hmm.
2: Man, so weird because I always thought of them as like the same age. Yeah, so right? weird. So we're
1: gonna talk a tiny bit about some of the most influential things that Jim Henson did.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes, now you can open your ears <laughs> to the part that you were expecting, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, the part that, where we mentioned the stuff, yeah. Some of Jim Henson's most beloved creations came in the form of Muppets on Sesame Street.
0: Aha! Uh-huh. Yes. yes! There
2: you go, you recognize that one. Yeah,
1: so it's the 1960s, you know, Frank Oz has hopped on up there, I think he went up there in 1963, only a few years later they did Sesame Street. Sesame Street first aired on November 10th 1969 on PBS stations. Joan Cooney and Lloyd Morissette conceived the show in 1966. Their goal was to create a children's show that uses the addictive nature of television in a positive way. During this time, half the nation's school district did not have a kindergarten. Cooney sought out the best in television, including those that had worked on Captain Kangaroo. Joe Stone, who had worked with Jim on a Cinderella spoof that was live action and puppetry, recommended Jim Henson and his Muppets.
0: That's such a good idea. Yes.
1: Yes. And Captain Kangaroo was a huge deal for puppeteers. Yes. And a lot of the people that did end up working with Jim Henson later got their start on Captain Kangaroo Mm -hmm. or grew up on it. It was a very influential children's show. Jim Henson was intrigued but reluctant at first. He was very insistent that his puppetry was adult puppetry. He was worried that he and his Muppets would be labeled solely for children. With some persuading, and after seeing the goals of the children's TV workshop, he agreed to do the show with his Muppet characters. After two years of research, the children's television workshop received a grant of $8 million from the Carnegie Corporation and Ford Foundation. This was the first television show of its kind to base its content and production values on educational research, and the first to include a curriculum. By 2009, it was broadcast in over 120 countries and 20 independent international versions.
0: It's crazy how good of an idea Sesame Street mm-hmm. is. Yeah. yeah. Even as old as I am now, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, modern Sesame Street is still really good.
2: When Cooney and Morissette came up with this and wanted puppets and people together for this, Stone told them, you need Jim Henson. If you don't get Jim Henson to do the puppets, you might as well just not have puppets in your show. Mm -hmm. Just don't do it. Just do people. Mm -hmm. And I know that Kermit
1: was very different on this show than he would be on the Muppet show later. This -hmm. this Kermit was a little more... Abrasive, I think yeah. they <laughs> said. Bert and Ernie were really, I mean, these were like the cornerstone mm-hmm. Muppets of Sesame Street. And of course, this was Frank Oz and Jim Henson. And Bert and Ernie is absolute epitome of them. Yes. yes. It's yeah. it perfectly it's their them. characters. Their, <laughs> the way they played off of each other, it did such a good job. You know, Frank Oz being a little more snarky and sarcastic mm-hmm. and <laughs> Jim Henson being a little more like, wow, the world's a wonderful place, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Ernie, uh, tell me, how do I look? With your eyes, Bert. (laughs) The world seemed to love the Muppets. For years, Jim and his team of furry friends were making regular appearances on variety shows and in commercials. But the general consensus from executives was this. Puppets are for children. This was a stereotype that Jim Henson has always tried to avoid. And when Lord Lou Grade of ATV in the UK took a chance on Jim, the Muppet Show changed television forever.
1: He knew Sesame Street was going to hurt his yes. street cred. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was going to make people think the Muppets are for children, they're a children's thing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a really good job of separating them. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. yes. honestly, when I was a kid, I totally thought that the Muppets mm-hmm. were Kermit and Fozzie and Gonzo mm-hmm. and that the Sesame Street puppets were something totally different. I didn't even yeah, think they I were agree. all Muppets I agree. Yeah. when I was a kid. They did such a good job separating them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he tried really hard to avoid that stereotype, mm-hmm. but it wasn't his fault. Puppetry had been used almost exclusively for kids up until this
0: point. So. Yes. Yeah. After they had been working for a year at SNL, Jim Henson and his team, Jerry Jewell, Bernie Brillstein, and others learned a lot about how to produce a variety show. They used this knowledge to fit the Muppets into a similarly formatted show that would end up having Kermit as a frustrated stage manager.
1: It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Mr.
2: Steve Martin!
1: So the Muppet Show was huge Mm -hmm. it was like the biggest thing on tv at the time and everybody who said no was really hitting themselves because (laughs) you know he took the muppets to the united kingdom lord lou grade deserves a lot of credit because he really believed in jim henson and the muppets he really did he gave them a huge budget Mm -hmm. for each episode and he really just he let them go
0: next of course was the muppet movie This film was the reverse of The Muppet Show. Instead of live actors coming to visit the Muppet characters, the Muppets were venturing out into the living world. It was incredibly ambitious and once again brought the creators new challenges that they were able to face and conquer.
1: Yeah. I mean, we Mm -hmm. just talked about this movie, so it's super fresh in our minds. Yes. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It was the first movie that starred puppets. Yes. Yes,
0: which I love so much. Yes. And then next here we have... The Dark Crystal.
1: Ooh, which one day we'll do an episode specifically just about this movie. That's right.
0: This film took about six years to create, but at the time when it was released, it was billed as the first live-action film with no humans on screen. It took about six puppeteers to perform each of the six-foot-tall evil Skeksis character.
1: The Dark Crystal has so much you know it did a lot better than the labyrinth initially upon release mm-hmm. but this movie is you know i don't know it's an absolute technical marvel so it,
0: it's mm-hmm. super super cool and one of the my favorite things about it a lot of movies do this but i think this is an a, a, a like premium example of creating a completely unique fantasy world yeah right obviously there are fantasy tropes that kind of linger between all these movies, right? Mm-hmm. But there is nothing out there that's like Dark Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the yeah. same, you could say the same thing for The Labyrinth. They're so unique. The characters have their own way of living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the world has its own way of behaving. And it's just amazing. And I love that kind of stuff.
1: It's awesome. It's yep, awesome it everything about and and it has little elements of his humor. You know, Jim Henson really liked it when things when characters randomly blew up and he really liked it when things were eaten randomly, you know. There's a scene in the Dark Crystal where this little the <laughs> ground just opens up and just eats this little thing. This little thing's yeah. like, kind of hopping along. Aww. And I remember watching that as a kid and laughing so hard. <laughs> I thought that was very, very funny. Yeah. And that was a very signature Jim Henson joke.
2: Yes. Mess. All right, so next we have Fraggle Rock. <gasps> I loved Fraggle Rock.
1: Dance your cares away.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's a song that was burned into my head <laughs> by yes. VHS Tapes. Yes. Because I would, yeah. <laughs> In, I Like, I'd be watching something that wasn't even about the Muppets or yeah, anything yeah, related, yeah. but they'd have previews for Jim Henson's stuff, it. and the Fraggle Rock was always there.
2: Oh, man. my goodness. Once again, Jim Henson created a fun and colorful world of characters that would be loved for years to come. It was a fun place filled with an array of music and a diverse cast of Muppet creatures. Fraggle Rock was meant to display and encourage kindness towards those that look different than you.
1: Oh my goodness, and dozers. I love the dozers. I want to cry every time I see a dozer because I can't wrap my mind around how they are the cutest thing (laughs) and I just want to squish and hug and love them so much.
2: All right, next we have the Labyrinth, which we also just talked about. We just talked about Labyrinth, didn't we? Labyrinth was deeply personal to Jim and it explored a timeless story that everyone can relate to. It did not try to be something brand new, but instead expanded upon great stories before it, such as The Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland.
1: Labyrinth was not a success financially, Mm -hmm. and that was very upsetting to Jim Henson. It was, yeah. It really, I think Brian Henson said it was the closest he ever saw his dad just kind of turn in on himself Mm because he just was so heartbroken that the movie didn't do well. Mm-hmm. And I totally get that
2: because yeah. it's incredible. So it, it was set up so well. They had a big star in it, they exactly. had the music. Yeah. yeah.
0: And like we said before in that episode, it is good to know that at the end of it all, he did recognize everyone who yeah. still loved it.
2: Yeah. 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 He got is, to see that, which is great. And the last one we have is The Storyteller. The idea for this show came from Jim Henson's daughter, Lisa, after she took a folklore class at Harvard. Together, Jim Henson and Lisa created the concept of the show and based all the episodes on actual folktales. And you can hear more about that one in our Storyteller episode. Yeah.
0: Man, oh man, we've done so many. Yeah, we have.
2: The
1: Storyteller is one of my favorite things that Jim Henson ever did. My family would, you know, we all watched it together. Mm -hmm. We, you know... I watch it with my siblings, and it's just John Hurt is in it. Yes. And if you have the ability to watch the storyteller, please watch it. Please. It's incredible. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you... Brian Henson does the I dog's know. voice. Brian Henson, the best ever, is doing <laughs> he does the dog's voice. And he was only like 23. Yeah, I just, cool. and yeah. it's so sweet to me, you know, mm-hmm. that he was doing that stuff with his dad and just. I'm glad these things were made.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think
1: it's really cool that the, the you know, it was like he was interested <laughs> in it and he made it happen. Just, yep.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. So next we have awards. Jim Henson was so influential that not only does he have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but so do the Muppets, Big Bird, and Kermit the Frog. <laughs> I yeah.
1: wonder if the other Muppets are jealous that
2: Kermit's I, got his own. Yeah. <laughs> we all have to share this star. <laughs> <Like, what>? Yeah. <laughs> He was awarded many other wins from several different organizations. He shared these wins with those that helped him bring those projects to life. Some examples of these would be the Primetime Emmy for The Muppet Show in 1976, a BAFTA in 1992 for the Storyteller Greek Myths, a Peabody Award in 1986 with the Muppets, The Daytime Emmy Awards in 74, 76 and 79 for Sesame Street and many others. Jim also won some awards for how influential and driven he was, some of them posthumously. These awards were a Gabriel Award in 1981, the Television Critics Association Award in 1990 for Outstanding Achievement in Children's Programming. A Telly Award in 1990 for public service, and a Visual Effects Society Award for their Hall of Fame in 2017.
1: Oh my goodness, he was a pioneer in visual effects. <laughs> he really was. And he loved cameras and he loved mm-hmm. doing crazy things with them and making, <laughs> tricking people with the camera, using, you know, it was, he was yeah. very interested in that kind of stuff and he loved gadgets. Mm-hmm. 1986 was a big year for Jim Henson. His latest film, Labyrinth, was a box office flop. His marriage to Jane, one that had been weakened by Jim's famous wandering eye for women, was officially ending. So, Jim Henson was known for being uh, very affectionate toward women. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Jane knew this. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's important to talk about. So, he. There were kind of like two gyms there was a work gym and a home gym. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. was pretty, you know, well known. Yeah. And. they still kind of had this friendship and this partnership even though he was going out with other women. Yeah. And, you know, eventually their marriage ended. Mm -hmm. I think his kids, one of his kids said, you know, he really did love our mom. He just, and he really wanted her to be happy. But he knew that he couldn't make her happy. And that was kind of eventually what ended their relationship.
0: Yeah. I mean, when we said before that their, their marriage didn't initially come from, like, a romantic love. Yeah. yeah. You can almost expect something like that to happen.
1: It was at this time that Jim headed to the south of France and spent a few days alone. In recent years, it had seemed that his mind had been shifting to deeper themes, and he was considering his own mortality. So, Jim Henson decided, for one reason or another, to write letters to his children in the event of his death. He told no one, except for his lawyers. Years went on, and Jim Henson continued his work. In 1989, he worked on realizing a dream he'd had since he saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarves at age three, working with Disney. It might be impossible to believe, but there was a time when Jim Henson considered buying the studio when it was at its lowest point. There is a universe out there, guys, where Jim Henson bought Disney when it was Madness.
2: Uh, whoa what the, a different world Age. that would be oh my huh? goodness
0: Man, he should've done it
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to he wanted to but of course that never worked out now as disney sat at the edge of a renaissance jim henson was ready to secure a deal with the company although some of his collaborators felt that disney was getting jim a little too cheaply he himself was thrilled with the idea he even planned to have a celebration once the deal had been signed
0: Wow. Um, I mean, back then when Disney was like just doing great animation and they mm-hmm, weren't yeah. the major conglomerate they are now. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't blame him, you know, yeah. just yeah. getting excited about mm-hmm. the potential there.
1: But it wouldn't come to be. Just as Jim Henson was getting ready to make the deal, he came down with what felt like a cold. He was a generally healthy man, always willing to work through any slight sickness. He was the kind of person that never had time to be ill and simply didn't allow it. But this was different. Arthur Novell, Henson's PR director, and his collaborator, Kevin Clash, both noticed something was off with Jim as he struggled to perform Kermit on the Arsenio Hall show. He admitted to them that he might have strep throat, but still felt okay. On May 9th, Jim sent flowers to his daughter, Lisa, who was recently promoted to an executive role at Warner Brothers. He then went with his daughter, Cheryl, to visit his father for a few days. It was a nice visit, but Jim was still feeling sick. He developed a cough, but didn't want to worry his family. He and Cheryl took an early flight back to New York, so Jim could get some rest. At this point, he was showing symptoms for pneumonia, caused by streptococcus bacteria. And so he goes back to New York, and at this point in time, he had a son, John, staying with him. And he was working on some technology set a steady cam technology for a 3d Muppets thing ride thing Jim Henson is sick yeah mm-hmm. and he comes in and he's gonna get some rest but since he sees a steady cam he goes oh <laughs> uh,
0: hold on. I've gotta
1: play with a steady yeah. because <laughs> he, he just he loved gadgets and inventions so much and they you know so they played with the steady cam together for a little while and yeah. then he actually collapsed John just, you know, oh, Dad, like, you're sick. So he put him in bed, you know, and they just, you know, sat together and everything. And, and, you know, it just seemed like he was going to be fine, but Mm -hmm. just, you know, was kind of sick. When Jim canceled a morning meeting and an all-day taping session for Disney, it was clear that something was very wrong. Jane came to see him and stayed with him as his condition seemed to worsen. His heart was racing, and he started coughing up blood. When Jane convinced him to go to the hospital, She called Arthur Novell. She put Jim on the phone, who said, Arthur, just look after them for me. It's starting to get very, very, very serious at this point, and I think Arthur said, he heard him say that, and he said, this is it. Yep,
2: I'm losing him.
1: Yeah. Jim Henson had two families, a family related by blood and a family he built through work. After he lost consciousness in the hospital, both of these families raced to his side. It all happened very fast, and Jim Henson never awoke. The family said their goodbyes, and he was pronounced dead on May 16th. <sighs> he had pneumonia, but it was caused by a kind of a rare bacteria. You know, we get strep throat all the time. That's, yeah. just, that's mm-hmm. not rare to us. No. But what's rare is that that bacteria was in his lungs. Mm-hmm. He officially died of sepsis. I mean, even the doctors said... Even if he had come in earlier, there's still a chance we wouldn't have saved him mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. because
1: he, this yeah. is a rare thing to happen. Mm-hmm.
2: He would have just been in the hospital for longer. Yeah. yeah. And that's all you know for certain.
1: <laughs> yeah. At least he got timed with his dad. Mm-hmm. He got time with one of his daughters. He got, you know, time with John. You know, he at least got to spend time with people before mm-hmm. he died. The news was baffling. How could someone so healthy, so full of life, Someone with seemingly so much more to give, just be gone. Amidst the devastation, the family tried to carry on. They headed back to the Henson apartment, making calls and consoling each other. The offices became a gathering place for anyone that worked with Jim, with groups of colleagues gathering for several days, trying to make sense of something so unbelievable. Brian Henson, who was in the UK as his father fell ill, was tasked with meeting Disney's lawyers, and trying to figure out where to go from there, because the deal had not been signed yet.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Disney would one day adopt Jim Henson's Muppets, but not for 14 more years.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: As the family started early plans for a memorial service, they got a visit from some legal representatives, bearing letters from Jim Henson. He was gone, and yet he found a way to reach out from beyond the grave, guiding his friends and family when they needed him most. Jim's letters gave instructions on what to do with his body and some requests for his memorial service, like playing when the saints go marching in and no black attire.
2: It's, it's crazy. In life, he knew exactly what he wanted, and in death, he knew exactly what yes, he wanted. Yes, yeah, he,
1: he made some requests. He was right when everybody was looking around at each other, like, how do we do this? Where do we go from here? Here are a couple of letters from the man himself telling you exactly what he wants. The ceremony was emotional to say the least, with heartfelt speeches and performances. Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, Dave Goals, Richard Hunt, Steve Whitmire, and Kevin Clash all performed a medley of some of Jim Henson's favorite songs. At the end, they each slipped on a Muppet and sang the song Just One Person. And when all those people believe in you, deep enough and strong enough believe in you, hard enough and long enough, it stands to reason you yourself will start to see what everybody sees in you. And maybe even you can believe in you too. I think Frank Oz was Fozzie Bear and mm-hmm. know, people just picked, picked their Muppet that they yeah. wanted to perform and they all yep. sang together. At the London service, Fraggle Rock writer Jocelyn Stevenson had a nice little thing that she said and I'm going to read oh. it. It's very, very sweet. When Jim left the planet so suddenly, all of us who loved him, worked with him, were inspired by him, gathered in New York City. We were like dandelion seeds, clinging to the stem and to each other. And on May 16th, the day Jim died, the wind began to blow. There's no stem anymore. We're all floating on the breeze. And it's scary and exhilarating. And there's nothing we can do about it. But gradually we'll all drift to the ground and plant ourselves. And no matter what we grow into, it'll be influenced by Jim. We're Jim's seeds. And it's not only those of us that knew him. Everyone who was touched by his work is a gem seed.
2: Which, speaking of that, when, while Jim Henson was alive, he had a lot of ideas and projects that he was working on. Being a creator meant that his work was never done. And so when he passed away suddenly, there were projects that he had conceived or been a part of that had not been finished or released. Here are just a few of those works. One was the final season of Muppet Babies. From his death until 2008, Sesame Street continued to use his performances within the show and would go on to use some of his old vocal tracks in updated versions of their familiar songs. One example of this would be the 1993 I Don't Want to Live on the Moon, which featured Aaron Neville. In the version, they make use of Jim Henson's original recording as Ernie. The Storyteller, Greek Myths, which was released at the end of 1990.
1: This had Michael Gambon instead of John Hurt as the storyteller. Mm -hmm.
2: He also had a hand in the 1991 series Dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. There's lots of memes of it and everything.
0: (laughs) It only just recently made its way to Disney Plus as well. Yeah.
2: Jim had actually come up with the concept of a sitcom format for dinosaurs with the general premise in place. Yeah. What an interesting
1: premise. Yeah. Yeah. I remember liking this show as a kid.
0: (laughs) It's yeah. a weird one. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: It's yeah. like a legit 90s sitcom, but there just mm-hmm. happen to be dinosaurs.
0: Yep. The graphic novel Tale of Sand in 2012 was developed from an unused screenplay by Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell.
1: How cool. I want to read mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh.
0: He helped produce the 1996 miniseries Gulliver's Travels.
2: Aw, cool.
0: Which I know a lot of people like. Yeah. yeah.
2: has Ted Danson in it.
0: Here Come the Muppets was a stage show that was put on nine days after Jim's death, where they had to use pre-recorded vocal tracks. And the last one that we will mention is a project that he worked on in his last few days, and was the last film that he directed. It was Muppet Vision 3D, an attraction that would premiere at Walt Disney World one year exactly after his death. The main feature of the attraction was a 3D film that contained Henson and his characters of Kermit, Waldorf, and The Swedish Chef.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, there's definitely YouTube videos of it. That's cool. People can at least see that.
0: The thing that we can hold on to, as sad as it is, but Mm -hmm. just remember how many wonderful things that he did make while he was alive. There's so much content out there. We've Mm -hmm. already done, like, it feels like... 30 episodes about his stuff yeah you know and And there's more yeah
2: Yeah. and you know the thing is we didn't really even scratch the surface honestly I feel like I believe his brother died young in a car crash and that affected him as well he had this amazing ability of of taking his grief and instead of going into a dark place like he could have it's so easy to go to a dark place he took it and he brought out light. He put light into the world instead, and yeah, he touched so many lives because of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Many of us know the name Jim Henson. He was an innovator, a creative force that was responsible for countless happy memories. He was a man with a plan, a clear vision of his place in the world and what he wanted to do with his time. If you ask the people that knew him best, they'll say he was an even-tempered, soft-spoken leader and took chances on the ones he believed in. Jim Henson knew that everyone on his team was valuable, no matter their title. And when he suddenly left the living world, every single person that knew him felt an immense loss. Jim Henson was a creator. He breathed life into his work. And by all accounts, he was a good friend and a loving father. Sure, he wasn't a perfect person, but he was like every human being in that way. Jim Henson made the world a better place, and planted a seed in every person that was moved by his work to do the same. And although his final letters were meant for his children, many people have found comfort in his last messages, read at his memorial. Please watch out for each other, and love and forgive everybody. It's a good life. Enjoy it. Love, Jim. And I guess it's another case closed. There we go! Closed on this episode close yes. on season 5. Yes. We will see you all again soon in season
2: 6. Woo.
1: And I I put in that line at the end about Jim not being a perfect person in yeah. honor of my of Frank Oz, who I love <laughs> dearly. Yes. Because every time I read about <laughs> him talking about Jim Henson, <laughs> he always said, "Hey, he wasn't perfect, okay?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like don't glorify him yeah he was like it's really easy to do that he was wonderful absolutely wonderful but I think some of the most wonderful things about him were his imperfections and so (laughs) Jim so Frank Oz (laughs) never wanted anyone to say really that he was perfect yeah and so I I put that little line in there because of Frank Oz (laughs) and I think that's really funny because it's just indicative of a very real friendship (laughs) you know yeah 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 it was really fun learning about Jim Henson and hopefully yes. we can learn even more about him and say more things about him. Mm-hmm. But until then, thank you so much for listening. We want to thank our patrons, Joel, JD, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, Anthony, Shelley, Bob, Linda, Carlos. Yeah, I think you got it. I think I got all I of them. I think you did. And if you're interested, check out our Patreon if, you th- yeah. if you're thinking about you know doing that. But also, we've got No Small Parts, It's another mm-hmm. show. Check it out. There will be a new, ep- new episode next week. Whoop, whoop. We are going to see you guys in a month. Yeah. We're taking yes. a month off this time.
0: Yes. Yeah, so stay tuned for yeah. August. And I'll be a married man.
1: Oh, oh. the next time we're when we on come here. Back. What? I'll the be, next time you guys hear us, what? Adam will be. He'll sound completely different because he he's, he's going to have a <laughs> That's wife. Right.
2: At At that point, you're going to be able to hear the ring on his finger.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll make sure to tap the mic with it. Oh, my
1: God. Oh, my
2: God. Adam with a wedding (laughs) ring. Oof. Man. man. It'll be like a whole different person. Two down, one still going strong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Any minute now.
2: It's okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you do you, you must. <laughs> exactly. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, All right. thanks, everybody. Bye. See you in a month. Yes. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. How's your love life? What? <laughs> How's my love life? You how's like, your love life? Listen, I, I work on Sesame Street. You don't ask You don't ask a frog questions like that. <laughs> you wouldn't ask Captain Kangaroo, how's no, his sex no. life? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, can you imagine
1: that? You're absolutely
0: right. That, that, that was wrong. Yeah. That was wrong of me. I should, yeah. shouldn't have done that.
1: Yeah.